You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Come with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 2. The title of my message tonight is Ode to Sigrid. And if you're thinking, what on earth is an ode to Sigrid? Sigrid is my mother. That was my mother's name. So this is an ode to to my mother. I, I, I don't think I've ever really preached on a Mother's Day honoring my mom. I've, I've got a number of Mother's Day messages, some extraordinary mothers in the Bible. But uh, when Leanne and I were, were planning, what should we do Sunday for Mother's Day? Leanne says, you know what you ought to do? You ought to really uh, preach a message honoring your mother. And I said, really? She goes, yeah, there's so many of her great qualities that live in you. And I thought, wow, that's really sweet. And my mother died uh, a little over 10 years ago. And she died the same year that my Zoe was born. So it was was kind of a very interesting year for me because for 40 years I had my mama there, you know, to to bring me to this point. And then literally the year that she passed away, Zoe was born. And so I still had another woman in my life now, but now I I was responsible for, for looking after her and nurturing and raising her. It was kind of like this very, very interesting year. And, uh, you know, the pain over here and the grief and the loss over here was very, very quickly comforted by this beautiful little gift that God sent into my life. And that's why my Zoe is called Zoe Abigail Sigrid Matesius. Uh, This week we're up in Sacramento and it was... um, her fourth grade field trip to the capital and we went out to where they found gold in California back in 1848 uh, out there at Sutter's Mill and you know it was just an amazing time but we flew southwest and when they printed out her boarding card it had Sigrid Matesius and so it was kind of like confirmation that I was meant to do this message today so come with me to the book of Exodus I know that you're going to read Exodus 2 verse 3 but if we can just quickly skip back to verse 1 it'll just give you context Exodus 2 verse 1 says and a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi so the woman conceived and bore a son when she saw that he was a beautiful child She hid him for three months. Now, the reason that she hid him was because the Egyptians were killing all the the male babies. They were taking the male babies and throwing them into the Nile River because Pharaoh was very, very concerned at the expanding populace of the Israelites. And he feared that they would become so numerous that they could overthrow the regime that was controlling their numbers that the spirit of human government is always to control people. God is not a controller. How do I know God is not a controller? Because he'll sit you in a paradisical garden, say of all the trees you may freely eat, just not that one. Didn't put electric fence around it. Didn't zap them if they got close. He gave you and I free will. But Pharaoh is trying to control the numbers. He's trying to control things. And uh, the Bible says here that when she saw that her little baby was beautiful, I don't know if I've met a mother who doesn't think their baby's beautiful. I mean, you can look at that baby and say, you know what, now I believe in aliens. Now, never mention that to the mother. You'd never want to mention that to the mother. Always say, wow, that is a beautiful baby. But to every mama... The, the baby she's carried for nine months and now pushed out, that is a beautiful baby. And, you know, you need to be slapped upside the head if you say anything less than that is a beautiful baby. She just worked hard to bring that thing into life. That is a beautiful baby. So every mother thinks her baby is beautiful. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him three months. Not that she wouldn't have, well, he's not really beautiful. I think I'll just toss him in there. No, she, you know, anyway, so don't get me started. Says, but when she could no longer hide him, watch this, when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it in asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, laid it in the reeds by the river's bank, and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. And then she puts this little, little baby, this little three-month-old in a little ark, a little boat that she made out of reeds and, and, and literally watched him float down the Nile River. And we know that Pharaoh's daughter 
you know, pulls him out of the river. You know, what, she's bathing there with her maidens and then all of a sudden this little boat comes by. She thinks, that's interesting. And then all she can hear is, and she looks in as, as a little baby. And so she, you know, picks up the baby and she runs, you know, home to daddy. Daddy, oh, please, can I keep him? Oh, please, can I keep him? You know, like what, you know, like our kids do when they, you know, see a puppy. Like we cannot go anywhere where they've got puppies. You know, free to a good home, rescue, shelter. My daughter is crying. How can you just leave it? It's a rescue puppy. We need to take, you know, it's like puppies, kittens, you know, anything. She is trying to bring it. That's what, that's what Pharaoh's daughter's done. She's like, please come, I promise I'll feed him. And so Pharaoh's like, well, what can it hurt? One little baby, what harm could it do? There's a message there. That the little thing that you think, what harm could it do, could just bring down your entire house. So just, anyway, that's a whole nother message, a whole nother message. But the reason I wanted to share that is because I, I, I felt to just say that what, what, what Jochebed, Moses' mother, what she put in the river that flowed down basically return back to deliver, basically return back to deliver her, her family, her people who were oppressed in Egypt. And the truth is that there is a flowing down from the previous generation into your life. Exodus 20 verse 12 says this, that we should honour our mother and our father that we should honour our mother and our father, that it may go well with us and that we should live long in the land. The Bible teaches us that this is the first commandment with a promise. It's the first commandment with a promise. Honour your mother and your father. Many years ago, God said, you need to honour your father. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I've forgiven him. I've told him that I love him. I'd be more than happy to honor him if you can tell me one thing that he's done that is worthy of honor. And God said, I'm not asking you to honor him on a performance scale. I'm not asking you to honor him for what he has or hasn't done. I'm asking you to honor him for who he is. This week while I was away with my daughter, one of the other fathers who was um, also a chaperone and, and he was there with, with his daughter, uh, is, a, is a sports psychologist. He's a doctorate in psychology and he now just does elite athletes. And he was telling me that from just a DNA sample now, they can tell within 99% accuracy to 99% accuracy if you had a relative who went through the Holocaust. If, if you had a relative that went through the trauma of a Holocaust, it shows up in grandchildren's DNA. The DNA is so altered from that moment that it is passed down into the children and to the children's children, he said, to the fourth generation. To the fourth generation, he says, the fifth generation, something happens in the fifth generation that is free. Five is grace in the Bible. But for four generations, it is passed down. Whether you like it or not, the DNA of your mother, the DNA of your father, the DNA of your grandmother, and the DNA of your grandfather is, is living on the inside of you. When you honor your mother and father, you bring a blessing on you. You would say, how? Because every cell in your body carries the DNA. If you curse your mother and curse your father, you're bringing a curse upon yourself. But when you honor your mother, when you honor your father, you'll find that blessing. You'll find that blessing. That's why it goes well with you and you shall live long in the land. Now I know that today is Mother's Day and, and not all of us had a, you know, a perfect upbringing. And, and the truth is when you were born, you didn't arrive with a manual. Did, did you know that? When, you, know, you didn't kind of come out and then pass mama manual. Here's the manual on how to look after me. Like you didn't arrive with a manual. Quite often, our, our, our mamas, when we were born, were still trying to figure life out themselves. They were still dealing with the dysfunctions that they inherited, and now all of a sudden, they, they, they got this dual responsibility. Now they've got a baby to take care of, as well as trying to clean up the mess from the past. So let's not throw stones too quickly. And, and let me just say to you today, 
being Mother's Day is a day to honour your mother. And, and uh, you may not have to honour what she did or didn't do, but it's important for you to honour. It's important for you to thank God for, to the woman who brought you into this world, who gave life to you, whether she's perfect or not, whether she's good or not. Picking up the phone, forgiving reconciling, wishing a happy Mother's Day. Don't live with bitterness and don't curse. Somebody say, Amen. So let me give you six thoughts in Jesus' Name. You'll like this. I got through it this morning, so let me just say that. Six things that, that, that uh, as Leanne and I began to talk, that I saw in my mother that are in me. The first one, number one, is pioneer. 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 You know, God always calls somebody to go first. He always calls somebody to go first. Jesus says, do unto others as, come on somebody, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I'm not sure if you realise the, the weight, the gravity of that statement. It flies in the face of the rest of the world. It, it, is, it is the complete antithesis of the teachings of Islam. In Islam, if someone has done something to me, then you double back, do it to them. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them, not as has been done. Jesus says, do unto others, not as ha most of us, we will do unto, well, he hit me first. Well, he cut me off, so I cut. Well, he flipped the bird, so I flipped. She hit me, she, well, she called me a name, so I, we, we, we do unto others and we justify doing unto others as has been done unto you. We, we, we see it in another way where sometimes as parents, you know, dad, you never told me, well, my father never told me he loved me. I knew he loved me because he was a provider. So I always, you never had to go without a meal. You always had a, well, well, well. So you're, you're saying that your philosophy is you will do unto others as has. God is looking for a breakthrough generation. God is looking for a breakthrough. You will be a breakthrough generation when you take what the Word says and pioneer. Somebody's got to go first. Somebody has got to do to others as has never been done to you. But as you wish somebody would have done to you, can somebody say amen? So my father met my mum buying shoes. My, my dad, you know the story. He grew up in East Germany under communism and atheism. He was a soldier on the wall between the East and the West. Uh, he told his best friend that he wanted to escape to the West, to capitalism. His best friend decided friendship, financial reward. Friendship, financial reward, chose a financial reward. My father was put in a concentration camp. He was in a concentration camp for 22 months. The only way he could get out of that concentration camp was to lie to the people and say, man, why on earth would anybody wanna leave communism? It's awesome. Socialism and communism, I love lining up days and days for just a piece of bread. It's awesome. Why would you wanna to go to the capitalist? And so, he, so they let him out. The night that he got out, he ran across the minefield. The reason he ran across the minefield was number one, it was the least guarded, but number two, he was gonna get out of East Germany one way or another. Either he'd step on the mine or he'd make it to the wall. Thank God he made it to the wall. I remember when he told me as a little kid what he did, I'm like, did you step on a mine? And uh, obviously, anyway, and so, uh, but anyway, so, so he wanted to get as far away from the Berlin Wall. He wanted to get as far away as possible. So he went all the way to the, to the deep south, to the Schwarzwald, Tutlingen. That's where I was born. And uh, he met my mum buying a pair of shoes. And uh, I, I was born. And a couple of years later, mum was pregnant with my little brother. And we had a really severe winter that year. And mum was pregnant with my little brother and the winter was so severe. My father was a Fliesenleger, which is a tiler. He did, you know, balconies and bathrooms and kitchens and stairs. He, he was a tiler. And uh, anyway, he had two months where he couldn't work because of the severe snow in the winter. And so they couldn't keep the heating on in the flat that they had and they couldn't put food on the table. And someone has said to him, hey, you really ought to consider going to Australia. In Australia, right now, they are crying out for tradespeople. They're crying out for people that have got a trade. And man, you would just flourish down there. Plus, the weather is so good, you can work all year if you want. So he came back and told my mother. My mother told her parents. Now, her parents were quite superstitious. They were born before the Great Depression. And they said, oh, no, 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 don't you dare go to Australia. You know, there are, there are Aboriginals, natives, ready to spear you when you get off the plane. True story. 
spear you when you get off the plane. Not only that, but there are, a, a crocodile will eat you. And if a crocodile doesn't eat you, a snake will bite you. If a snake doesn't bite you, they've got the most poisonous spiders in all the world. They've got spiders the size of a human hand just running around. So, you know, so mum had this picture. Despite all of that, she made the decision that she was going to go with my dad, with me, and pregnant with my little brother on a one-way ticket to Australia. When she got to Australia, you know, when we came from Sydney to San Diego, we had an advantage that, you know, in San Diego, you speak English. Now, I know that Australian English is different. <laughs> you know, man, here you go. I know that we put the least amount of effort possible in a communication. If you ever want to speak Australian, it's very simple. Just, just talk without moving your lips and just try and just think... How could, I, how could I speak and still be, like speak English in the laziest possible way? You know, there you go. Fair nigga, mate. That's all right, mate. Anyway, and so, so, so but, but my parents, when they came, my mum could only speak German. She couldn't even speak the language. Everything was foreign. She was like, back then, it was like 30-something hours away from family. She was pregnant with, and I look back now and I realize all through my life, God has always asked me to take the difficult path, the difficult path, the difficult path. But on the inside of me, resident on the inside of me was the spirit of the pioneer. So I thank my mama for that. Can I just tell you, pioneer, I made a decision that I'm gonna draw down. I'm gonna draw down from that flow, that flow, that flow from my mother to be a pioneer. I didn't have to have a marriage like that, I didn't have to have a marriage like I've been seen model. But I can pioneer a marriage that, that is that is a an example and a legacy to my children, so that they can say, "Wow, we want a marriage like our mum and dad, not like grandma and grand, but like mum and dad." Pioneer, pioneer. Second thing about my mother was she had an unbelievable servant heart. She had an unbelievable servant heart. She, she loved to bake. She loved having people over. All the kids in the neighborhood, everyone wanted to come to my house. Now, I'm not sure if it was what it was like when you were growing up, but there's nothing more boring than being at your house because you know your toys. It's like, no, I want to go to your house. Everyone wanted to come to my house because my house, my mom had a pantry filled with candy. Like we had so much candy and Coca-Cola on tap, everybody wanted to come to my house. Not only that, my mum would like bake. You know, if she knew you like cupcakes, she'd just start baking cupcakes. I'll never forget my little brother, it was his, um, I think it was like his 15th birthday party. And so he was allowed to have a, a bunch of friends over. So uh, we had this kind of this downstairs basement. He's in the basement and with his friends and they're gonna have a sleepover. And so mum's upstairs baking. And I'm downstairs with my brother and she's baking like, you know, little cupcakes and sausage rolls and little party pies and all these things. And, you know, the little mini frankfurters and all that. And my brother's downstairs. He ain't thinking of eating it. He's, think, he's said to his friends when the food comes, food fight! Food fight! And so anyway, so mum's, you know, bringing all these trays and she's all, and I'm just like feeling sorry for her. And, and then my brother, because my mum, uh, you know, uh, left school in about the ninth grade. So, you know, back then, if you got a job, it was, it was as good as finishing school. And she got a job as a shoe clerk in a shoe store. That's where she met my dad. So she left school to, you know, be a full-time shoe clerk. And so, you know, she didn't have the highest levels of education. So my brother used to love kind of, you know, playing on that. And so anyway, he's like, hey, mom, you know, in front of all the friends, she's carrying a tray of food. She's like, yeah, what is it? And he says, hey, mom, what's green? Big, hairy, and eats rocks. No, sorry, and eats cats. What's big, green, hairy, and eats cats? She's like, oh, gee, um, big, hairy, green, and eats cats. And he's like, and you know, the answer is a big, green, hairy cat eater. That's the. <laughs> So, you know, anyway, so, so she's like this and she puts down the tray of food and she's like, oh, gee, um, what was the question again? And, and my, my little brother goes, what's big, green, hairy, and eats cats? And mom goes, hmm, big, green, hairy, eats cats. I don't know, a seagull? A seagull. A seagull. They're not big, they're not green, they're not hairy, they don't... How it, it was so funny. He spat out the, the Coke that he was drinking. We're laying on the floor laughing. Mum picks up the tray that she's just, you know, got all the, and he just walks out like this. I go, yeah, thought you could trick me, huh? 
ninth grade education. And uh, she was so funny, but she had this beautiful servant heart. Many years ago, many years ago, God said to me, He asked me a question. He said, can Judas serve on your team? Can Judas serve on your team? And, you know, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say I, I, I got quite, I didn't realise I was being arrogant. You know, sometimes you don't realise how much pride is in your heart. And I said, oh, Jesus, <laughs> not a chance, not a chance, not a show. I said, our team is so faithful. Our team is so loyal. Our culture, mate, a Judas would stick out like that. Not a chance. No way. And so Jesus said, oh, so you think I made a mistake? Oh, what? He goes, so you think I made a mistake? And then he asked me again, can Judas serve on your team? And then I realised what he was asking. He, he, he was asking me, can you pour into somebody, even if there's no guarantee of ROI, return on investment? Can you pour into somebody? Can you provide for somebody? Can you love somebody even if in the end they wound you? Do you know how many pastors, do you know how many leaders, especially pastors' wives who withdraw because they were hurt by people, they were wounded by people, they gave everything, they poured out everything only to have it thrown back into their face, only to have, I, I'm, I, God, God was asking me, He says, listen, right now I'm measuring you and I'm trying to see will you live according to your deepest wound or will you will live according to the highest principle? Will you live according to where somebody has wounded you or will you live to where I have called you? I'm just trying to measure how much of the city I can give you, how much authority I can give you, how much. And so I remember coming to a place where I said, you know what, God, Judas can serve on my team. Absolutely. Even if I pour into somebody and they betray me, they, they knife me in the back, they betray, they, you know what, I won't stop loving people. I won't stop serving people. I won't stop pouring in into people, I won't stop believing in people. I honestly believe, I honestly believe that servant-heartedness came down from my mother, number three. Are we doing okay? Number three. Number three was fun. We, we, we just did a, did a marriage retreat. The marriage retreat was a seat. How many, how many people were at the marriage retreat? It was awesome. And, and what I love about our marriage retreat is our marriage retreat is fun. Like, it's not just serious. It's not just, you know, for your marriage to go forward, then you're going to have to apply these principles into your life. And It's not all classroom. It's not all classrooms and do nots and do's. Like, when people arrived, it was dress up, because we've got this beautiful cocktail party out on the, 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 the balcony overlooking the pool and this magnificent resort. The, the, the next day there was some beautiful sessions, powerful sessions in the morning, but then the afternoon was, we, we hired the pool. We said, listen, we just want to have a private party at the pool, just see three people. So when Leanne and I turn up, there's just, you know, our people everywhere and I got pushed in a few times. You know, I had to tuck into a ball. It looked like I was doing a cannonball, but people were pushing me and I was a victim of, and uh, anyway, and uh, no, no, you know, I, I, I there were people there and I wasn't sure if they were baptized. That's what it was. They were in the pool. I'm like, my God, have these people been completely immersed? Because it, far be it from me that I should get to heaven and Peter say, listen, they can't come in. I'm like, Peter, they're in my church. Why can't they come? Well, they were never baptized. And so, you know, the cannonball for me anyway is a selfless act. Selfless act. You know, I saw a crowd of people there and I thought, you know, WWJD. Who was John Denver? And uh, sorry, what would you? And, and so, so, you know, I just, but when, you know, when you go under the water, you, you just trust in God. It's a selfless act because you don't know how much water is going over the top of these dear folks. You just believe in God that, you know, that your, your offering of yourself into the, is going to provide enough H2O to baptize them so that they can make it into, I mean, I couldn't live with myself if you didn't, that's the only reason. Anyway, and so, so fun. My mum, my mum was just, I mean, if you've ever driven with me in the car, you'll notice that I don't drive under the law, I drive under grace. <laughs> my mum was like that, like you, you, you're meant to have one person per seat belt in your car. 
I remember, I think it was like maybe his 14th birthday, he wanted to go to Pizza Hut and mini golf. And there was a mini golf park right next to the Pizza Hut. We had a 1965 Chevy Bel Air, a 1965 Chevy Bel Air. And there were 12 people in the 1965 Chevy Bel Air. Seatbelts were optional, but my mum got pulled over for speeding. And so I'll never forget the face of the cop as he walks up to the car and then throws himself back and looks into the car and, he, and there are children laying on the floor and laying on the seat. There were just kids everywhere. And he's trying to tell my mum she can't drive home. She's like, of course I can drive home. I haven't been drinking one or two glasses of wine, that's it. And he's like, no, no, you can't drive home because there's not a seatbelt for every kid. Ah, we don't need a seatbelt. You know, and she was just, she just, and she, she was, she was, she, she kind of, she kind of lived in this place where uh, the rules were suggestions. If you know anything about your pastor, rules are kind of suggestions. It's not a good thing because when I got saved, I realized I better make some rules more than just suggestions. But still to this day, when they told me that I couldn't build a big spirit-filled church in San Diego, I'm like, really? When they said, hey, whatever you do, don't preach on giving and generosity because, you know, Southern Californians are materialistic and you don't want to touch that sacred cow. Just leave that alone. Really? When they said, whatever you do, don't move in the power of the Holy Spirit in church. When they began to say, hey, you can't get buildings in San Diego. They're so expensive and there's no zoning for buildings. I said, there's just something about me. I remember when I was courting Leanne, this is a little bit embarrassing, when I was courting Leanne, um, for whatever reason, we went to Target. And we're in Target and my mum decided, like she really liked Leanne and Leanne really liked my mum. My mum had so many great qualities, but for whatever reason, my mum decided that she was just gonna show Leanne how avant-garde she was. So true story, my mum starts shoplifting. <laughs> she is taking items and sticking them in her handbag Winking to Leanne. Leanne is freaking out because Leanne had an experience when she was 11 where one of her best friends, Janice, stole something Leanne didn't realize. And as they're walking out, they have those, you know, those undercover, excuse me, you know, and the next minute they're in and they call the police and the police had to come. And Leanne got a spanking from her dad just for being with, Jan she, didn't, she didn't know Janice was stealing. She didn't ask Janice to steal. She hadn't stopped, but she still got a, so she's now freaking out. She's almost hyperventing. Oh, mom, just stop. Yeah, mom, just stop. And mom's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll do this all the time. Now, my dad, my dad, his business was flourishing and she had a, she could have paid for the stuff. But she was just trying to show Leanne, like she's, you know, your mother-in-law is so avant-garde. Oh, it's the law, it applies to everybody else. I'm like Hillary Clinton. No, she didn't say that. She didn't know who Hillary was. But anyway, she, uh, I know it's naughty. <laughs> she would let me stay up every Sunday night, 8.30 p.m. and watch horror movies. We only had three channels where we grew up, three stations, that was it. But 8.30 p.m. every Sunday night was the Vincent Price Horror Hour. You know, and Vincent Price is the, is the voiceover on the Michael Jackson thriller. And so, so she would let me stay up. And well, she wouldn't let me. She would make me stay up. I would like, I want to go to bed. There are werewolves. No, you'll stay with me. You know? and, but at school, I was like the envy. They're like, man, your mom's so cool. We're, we're not allowed. It's 8.30. Wait It's bedtime. What time's your curfew? I don't have one. And uh, you know, it was just awesome. So my mom, kind of fun. All right, number, number five, I think it is. Four, excuse me, number four, just testing. Number four was courage, courage. God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Three times he said it, be strong and courageous. Uh, we used to live on this, this road called Burke Road. Down the bottom of the hill was a fish and chip shop. If you know anything about Australia, they, everything revolves around a fish and chip shop. So we, we used to go there for not just fish and chips, but they had pinball machines. And that was the way that we you know, kind of entertained ourselves. And back then for 20 cents, so just a little bit less than a quarter, was you, you, know, you could play pinball. 
And so what would happen if someone was playing, you just put your 20 cents on the machine and that says, hey, you know, I'm next. My 20 cent is on the machine, I'm next. Well, there was this guy, he was about four years older than me. His name was Jason McKee. And he came from a bit of a broken home. And, and uh, so he, he, you know, he kind of uh, had always had a, like a cigarette over his ear. And then he had a whole pack of Winnie Reds, you know, Winfield Reds. I'm not sure if they have Winfield over here, but a packet of cigarettes you know, up here, because, you know, he felt like it was tough. And, uh, you know, he was, he was like the first to swear and, you know, he, he was just tough and, he, you know, he'd always pick on little kids. And I was about four years younger than him and he's playing the pinball machine. He's got his cigarette up here and a sick packet of cigarettes up here. Like he's 14, I was 10. And he's just, you know, showing like, that's like, I'm a rebel. I got, I smoke cigarettes and I don't care what anyone. Th-. And so anyway, I put my 20 cent piece on. When he you know, lost his last ball, instead of, you know, stepping away so I could play, he takes my 20 cent, puts it in and continues playing. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's my 20 cents. And then he just, and he punches me. So my little brother runs home to mum. The next minute she gets, the next minute she gets in the car and I just hear, as this, light blue, like this sky blue 1965 Chevy Bel Air comes to a screeching halt. The door comes flying open. Now I'm, I'm worried for my mum. Cause you know, when you're 10, a 14 year old, you know, like 10, you don't know what puberty is. He's 14, he's gone through puberty. His voice is deep, you know, and you know, and he's tough and, and he gets into fights and stuff like that. I'm like nervous. And so my mum comes walking, right. Who took my son's 20 cents, you know? And he, I think he, you know, cussed at her and he's like standing on one leg playing the pinball machine. He cussed at her. She comes up behind him, clocks him over the back of the head. His head goes like this. Then she grabs him by the back of the neck. She drags him off the pinball machine. She takes him outside. And then I see her with her hand like this and he's cowering. He picks up his bike and she's chasing him. He gets on his bike and starts pedaling and my mum is chasing him down the street. All we see is Jason McKay fleeing for his life. After that, he would never pick on me again because he had fear of my mother. The way that you deal with bullies is somebody's got to stand up to the bully. Somebody's got to stand up to the bully. I love that because my mum modelled courage to me. She modeled courage to me. When we came to San Diego, I realized for us to do what God has called us to do, I can't do it in fear. I can't do it being afraid. I've got to do it in courage. I've got to take courageous steps. Wisdom is knowing what to do. Courage is having the the, the bravery to do what wisdom tells you to do. You and I need courage. God said to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. You're gonna need courage. It takes courage to forgive. It takes courage to believe God. It takes courage when you lose everything to to go again. It takes courage to pick yourself up when you've been knocked down. It takes courage that if you you lost your house, you're gonna believe God for another house. It takes courage when when you lose a, a, a baby to believe again, to go again. It takes, your life needs courage. My mum modelled for me what courage looks like. Number five, boldness. My mother, just, she just had this boldness about her, boldness. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Have I got any righteous people in the house? You'll find that Jesus has made you righteous, but it's your choice whether you become as bold as a lion. The righteous are, that's your inheritance. Jesus has made you righteous. Step into that boldness. Step into that lion's roar. Step into that alpha zone. Be as bold as a lion. See, my mum, when I got saved, she was really nervous when I got saved because uh, she'd gone shopping at the equivalent of like a Vons or a Ralph's. And, and, uh, and as she's you know, kind of pushing the, the, the shopping cart uh, around into the aisle, uh, all of a sudden there, there was a lady, one of my friends' mother was in there, Mrs. Jones. And Mrs. Jones kind of stops my mum's shopping cart and says, how's Jürgen? And mum's like, oh, um, okay, why? She goes, is he all right? And mum's freaking out now. She thought I must've had an accident. She's like, yeah, I think so. Why, do you know something? And, and, and Mrs. Jones says, oh, no, no. We've heard he's gone all, you know, religious. So my mum comes home from, from groceries and she's crying, why? Why do I have to go to church? Why do you have to be so fanatic? She, she didn't understand. Like, we, we, 
we never went to church as a family. Now I'm going to church every Sunday. Not only that, I think about a week earlier, I, was I told her I started tithing, giving money to the church. So she, was, she freaked out. She thought I was in a cult. And now Mrs. Jones has doubled down on it. But what was interesting was about six months after that, my mother asked me, could she come to church with me? Because she knew, even though she thought I was a fanatic and she thought that I was in a cult and she thought that I was being brainwashed and she thought that because I was giving money to the church and turning up every Sunday to church and twice, once in the morning, once at night, she thought that I was in a brainwashed cult, but she could not deny that the person before my salvation experience that she had as an elder son was disrespectful, was rude, was obnoxious, was, was unkind to her. And all of a sudden, she noticed that there was a moment where when I started going to church, where, when everything changed, she began to see the difference. And she says, can I come to church with you? I said, Mom, why would you wanna to come to church? You've been calling it a cult. She says, I know that something is different in you. Well, she comes to church, she, you know, she had no idea of etiquette. There's etiquette in church. She has no idea that there's etiquette. She has no idea that when the preacher is preaching that you're not meant to interrupt. It's not question and answer time. So we're in the Wollongong Church of Christ and the Reverend Barry McMurtry is, you know, sharing a dispensation on baptism. And how when Moses took the children of Israel through the Red Sea, it was a picture of baptism. That it was like symbolic of baptism, that they walked through on dry land and the Egyptians came in after them and then the Lord swallowed them up in the sea and all that held them to their past was washed away and they were now free people. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Baptism is so bad. And as he's preaching this, my mum stands up I mean, she's sitting next to me and, goes, and she was only like five foot two. But you know, she stood up and she goes, I haven't been baptized. And, and, and it's like, uh, I beg your pardon, man. It's like, I haven't been baptized. Like, and she's looking around and then all of a sudden someone goes, yeah, neither have I. Neither have I, me either. 27 people. The next week they had a special baptism service. The Reverend Barry McMurtry said, this was our Acts chapter two. They called it their revival. They never had anybody spontaneously respond to a message and say, I wanna get what, it had never happened before or since. My mother started it, it's a true story. My mother started it with a boldness. The last one, number six, was generosity. Generosity. If, if I look back, my mother was always so generous. I remember when I was a little boy sitting on my Orma, which is my mother's mother, sitting on her knee. And my Orma told me that her daughter, my mother, was so generous, she would give away her last piece of bread. And she kind of said it, you know, almost in a, uh, a negative way. Like, oh, your mother is so generous. She would literally give the shirt off her, or the blouse off her back to somebody if they asked for it. Like, you know, she was generous to a fault is what she said. But I remember the years where we were in New Zealand and the years where we were mistreated. It was my mother's generosity. When, when she would come over to visit us, we never lacked for anything. She, she paid for all the meals and put groceries and filled our pantry. She was so generous. I mean, we had a dog called Lulu and we had dog food for Lulu, but apparently dog food wasn't enough. And so mum would come back from the store with like a giant sausage and and, and, and pasta. And I'm like, Mum, you know, what are you doing? You know, she goes, oh, no, no, little Lulu. Little, who, who needs something? I'm like, Mum, number one, Lulu's a she. You know, who, who needs a little sausage? He needs a little pasta. She, see, and, and dogs, have you ever noticed that dogs never say no? Lulu would eat so much that, you know, we'd take Lulu for a walk and, and her little belly would be sloshing, like dragging on the, and she'd have to throw up all that she'd eaten. Cause you know, but she wasn't gonna turn down another, this woman is cooking for me, Heck, bring it on, whatever, you know. My mum was so generous. 
My mom was so generous. Many times she was taken advantage. There was a there was a lady who came who was a uh, was a deceiver, was a a, a, a fraudster who was manipulating a whole lot of people, telling this lie that she was oppressed and she was this and she was that. And my mum had given thousands of dollars to her, thinking she was helping her and her daughter, that they were refugees, only to find that it was a scam. She was a scam artist and had done it to a number of people. And she ended up you know, having to go to court to testify. And, and again, no etiquette, no etiquette. She's in court and uh, says to the, you know, the, they said, is this the, that's the lady. And then at the end walks up and sp- spits at the lady and you know, was you know, almost held in contempt for court. But anyway, but she was so generous. She was so generous. When we came to San Diego, uh, we didn't know anybody. And I remember before we started our church, I knew the church that God put on our heart to build in San Diego. And God said to me, listen, if you will honour the men and the women who I send you, I will send you the men and the women that I honour. And in 13 and a half years of this church, we have had the most extraordinary preachers and ministers at Cherish, at Emerge, at Empower on our Sundays. Like literally God has brought the best ministers from all over the world have come here. When we came to San Diego, we didn't know anybody. But God said, if you'll be generous to those who I send you. I remember the first year that uh, we, we started in August and then Thanksgiving almost killed us. By Thanksgiving, the church had exploded. We almost had like 200 people. But Thanksgiving, 32 people turned up. And my wife's like, what did you preach last week? I'm like, well, it can't have been any good. She goes, ah, oh, it's over. And honestly, I'm looking at 32 people. Like you could have shot a cannon and not hit anybody. And I'm like, yeah, it's over. My, well, why did I preach last week? It must have been dreadful. I had no idea because, you know, two weeks vacation in America compared to four or five in Australia. You know, if there's a long weekend, people take the long weekend, they don't come to church. And so then when I realised that that's what happens and my friends are like, hey, you know, they're talking me off the ledge. Hey, don't, you know, don't shut down the church. It's just normal. And uh, so the next year, Alicia Williams was, was on our staff and I said, this is what we're going to do. I said, we are, we are going to invite Pastor John Bevere to come for Thanksgiving. And I said, we're going to pay him, you know, a, a really generous honorarium. And she's crunching the numbers going, you know, Pastor, I just need to remind you last year, we could barely pay for the Sunday. We could barely pay the rent. We could, be, you know, like we lost money having church on Thanksgiving. And I said, yeah, but the way that you break through is not through holding back, but through releasing. You don't, you don't break through from holding, you break through. For God so loved the world, He released, He gave His only begotten Son. He gave His only begotten Son. I learned generosity from whatever, whatever condition you're in. The reason that, that we don't have a problem speaking about finances, because I didn't grow up in a church to feel any schadenfreude or guilt around finance. I know that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. If you've had a church upbringing, you may have uh, come under a lie from the devil and it's a very pious lie. It's a palatable lie. And the lie goes like this, that, that we should give to God, but not expect anything. And you'll hear, you know, preachers say, you know, like God is, He's not some giant slot machine in the sky. But it's inconsistent with Scripture. It says, give and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken again. The world of the generous gets larger. He who waters will himself be watered. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. When God gave His only begotten Son, it wasn't like the angels came up to Him. Oh, Lord, I... <laughs> Isn't that your only son? Well, yes, but I'm not expecting anything in return. What? God gave His only begotten Son. Because God never asked you and I to live by a principle He doesn't first model. God gave His only begotten Son. Now, you need to understand the time of His giving, the time of His generosity wasn't convenient. If I could take you back there to heaven at that time, this section was full. This section was full. This section completely empty. Lucifer had taken one third of the angels with him. 
Not only had He taken one third of the angels of heaven with Him, but He had come down and He'd put sin in man. So now God's son and daughter, Adam and Eve, were estranged, were separated from Him because of sin. But it wasn't just a fracture in the relationship. The devil knew sticking it into the heart of God, that God being a God who is holy, just and righteous, cannot tolerate sin, but must judge sin. And the wages of sin is death. God was now in a conundrum where the very, very apple of His eye, the object of His affection, was now also the object of His wrath and judgment and they deserve death. And so, so the devil's thinking his way. And in that environment, in an environment of loss, in an environment of going backwards, in an environment where he, he is behind the, God takes His very, very best. He doesn't ask Gabriel, hey, have we got any angels who are, you know, doesn't look like they're gonna make it. They're on life support from battling with the devil. He's, he takes His only begotten Son. You know what only means? It means He doesn't have another one. He takes His very, very best. He takes the Prince of Heaven and He, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Can I tell you, He gave His only begotten Son 2,000 years ago. For the last 2,000 years, that Son, that seed that He put into the ground has been reproducing, has been bringing back. Today, just today on this planet, there are 2.6 billion sons and daughters of God and it hasn't ended yet. Every single day, every single week, people are coming to Christ, responding to Christ. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Because of His generosity, we have everlasting life. In this house, you learn that the way forward is generosity. The way forward is generosity. When I went to Bible college, my father disowned me. He said, not one cent will you get from me. And he stayed true to his word. Not one cent did he give me. This year, Leanne and I, this year, Leanne and I, just our giving, our tithes and offerings and our vision builders will cross $1 million that we've given in the 14 years of, of this church. And I'm not trying to say that to say, but if you would have told me when I was in Bible school that one day I'd give a million dollars, I'd say, man, you got the wrong person. I'm not, I'm not a business person. I'm gonna be a youth pastor. I'm gonna be a pastor. It's amazing. It's amazing what God will do if you'll be generous. You serve a generous, you are most like God when you're generous. For God so loved the world, He gave. Be generous in your praise. Be generous in your forgiveness. There are so many people that they're misers. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're a miser with money, I guarantee you'll be a miser with your words. You'll be a miser with your grace. Well, I'm not forgiving them. Jesus is hanging on a cross and they're gambling for His clothing. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Number one, angels may say, oh, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. they're not deserving of forgiveness. And number two, they ain't asking. But Jesus is the personification of God's generosity. He's hanging on the cross to take away our sin. You really think He's gonna draw the line there? He's like, Father, forgive. He came to forgive. He was generous in His love, generous in His affection, generous in His word, generous in His forgiveness. We need more generous people. If I have anything going well for me, I, I honestly believe it's because I have a, sometimes a generosity to a fault. But I love it because I saw it in my mama and I'm glad to have it in my life because before it was in my mama, I saw it in my heavenly Father. You can have that today. Why don't you close your eyes? Let me pray for you tonight. Heavenly Father, I just thank You for these extraordinary people who are sitting here in Your presence, here in this service. And let me just tell you, friend, God loves you. He loves you so much that He did give His very, very best because He felt like that's a fair trade. God did not bargain or barter for your life. God did not negotiate with the devil. What's the least I can give and get some of them? What's the, what's the least it's gonna cost me to get some of you to heaven? God never entered into negotiations God didn't bargain or barter. God gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God gave His best so that you can walk and you can receive God's best in your life. If you're here tonight and you've never surrendered to God, friend, I gotta tell you, He is not a religion. Jesus didn't die to make you religious. 
He died to repair a severed relationship. If you're here tonight and you're far from God, friend, come back. If you're here tonight and you're away from God, friend, you are meant to be here tonight. Would you come back? So if you're any one of those three categories of people, you've never surrendered, you once did, but you're away, or you're just far from God. Well, every head is bowed, every eye closed, and maybe you're watching online right now, and you know you need to come back to God. I want you just to do this. While every head is bowed, every eye closed, would you just quickly raise your hand, say, Pastor Jürgen, that's me. You're talking about me tonight. I want to draw near to God. I want to come back to God. I don't want to be far from God. I've never surrendered to God. I want to do that tonight. If that's you, quickly, would you raise your hand? If you're one of those three categories, thank you, darling. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? Thank you, sweetie. Who else is there? Would you raise your hand? Just lift it high so I can see. Once I've seen it, you can put it down. Thank you up the back. Thank you, sweetie. I feel like there's somebody else. Who is that one God's tugging on your heart? I know there are people responding online right now. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? I feel like there's one more. Who is that one? Quickly, would you lift your hand? Say, Pastor Jürgen, that's me. I don't want to leave the same way I walked in. Friend, the good news is you don't have to. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer and God is about to step into your world. Everything is about to shift. Everything is about to change. Who is that one? Quickly, would you lift your hand? Say, Jürgen, that's me. Pastor, that's me. That's me. I don't want to walk out the same way. I need... I need that Spirit of God in my heart. I need that love in my heart. I need that forgiveness in my heart. Very hard to give somebody something you've never received. Why don't you receive God's love, receive God's forgiveness, and you'll find yourself able to love and able to forgive. I'll wait just a few more seconds. Who is that one? Quickly, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Yugen, that's me. Your heart's pounding in your chest. God's saying, raise your hand, raise your hand. Who is that one? Quickly, quickly. I'll wait just a few more seconds. Thank you. A few more seconds. Who is that one? Quickly. I can feel there's a wrestle. Just surrender. Who is that? Thank you, darling. Up the back. I see that hand. While our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, let's all say these words out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you tonight. You so love me. You sent Jesus, your only Son, to die on the cross to take away my sin. Lord Jesus, thank you that your death brought me life. Your sacrifice broke every chain, every hold the devil had over my life. Tonight, I am free. I am forgiven. I am clean. All my sin washed away. All my wrongdoing cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Tonight, I am a child of God. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.